Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. Welcome along, it's Rob Riles welcoming you to another edition. Now, this morning I'm um, delighted to say that for the second time, due to my uh, technical inability to make things work, the first time um, I've got somebody on the on the other end uh, of the line that I want to chat to because I think he's got so much to share. Now, um, I haven't known the gentleman for very long, only known him for a short time, but from a from this side of the fence anyway, uh, I feel a strong connection to him and so much of what he's achieved. Um, he is an international household name. He's a very humble and private person, so I'm going to get this out of the way quickly because he'll probably want to duck behind the wall when, I, when I'm saying this. The gentleman I'm talking to is ex-international cricketer Jack Russell, um, who once was described as um, the world's greatest wicketkeeper. Uh, he's got a stellar career, played for Gloucestershire, his hometown, uh, his home county, um, from between 1981-2004, uh, was involved in 54 test matches for his country, um, was also renowned for his um, sta- dour, not dour, the, the stoic batting ability, and uh, I think Jack may, may touch on this, but he had a particular reverence for playing against the Aussies and um, doing his bit against them, against the old enemy. Uh Renowned for, let's just use the word, peculiarities and very much his own man, which I just absolutely love. Um, He's an MBE. Um, He's gone on to have and is pursuing another career, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, He's an artist of renown and really, really is an artist of renown. And so I'd like to welcome to the podcast to have a chat and see what we can glean out of him. Jack Russell. Welcome, Jack. No, you can retire on on that. But um, listen, I don't take it lightly that anybody speaks to me on this. And I certainly don't take it lightly when somebody with your <laughs> career and, and time demands as well. So um, thank you for that. But just to kick off, Jack, um, I'm sure most people in the sporting world will have heard of you. Um, but, you know, what what... <laughs> What was it that, insp- and I always try and start with this, what was the thing that inspired you to become a professional sportsman? Uh, well, to be honest with you, we were quite a sporting um, family. I mean, my late brother, uh, he was sport mad. I, w- I joined in. Um, my father played local club cricket and um, football. And it was those days where, it, you know, the seasons were split. So it was either football or cricket. Um, so it was a very sporting. Mother played quite a bit at school, but she loved the sports. It, it was sort of not at a professional level. There was no professional um, status in the house at all. It was just the, the love of sport in general. And in those days, when I mean, I'm not sure if you're old enough, but us old enough to remember that there were only like two or three channels on the telly. So um, when there was sport, live sport on the telly, it was like a, a major thing. You know, you couldn't record it or anything. Not until the 80s, anyway, when you put the VHS on. So there was always an interest. I would always go to the cricket with my dad. Um, I'd go and stand on the touchline at the football, you know, knee eye to a grasshopper and watch him play to play left wing. Um, 
And I played, uh, I ended up playing, well, I say playing, participating as an eight and nine-year-old at, at uh, my dad's village club when players didn't turn up or they were short. So I used to field um, and field from like long on to long on and long fine leg to fine leg. And the overrate was terrible because it took me ages for my little legs to get from one end of the field to the other um, between overs. So it was a really um, sport-orientated household. I, was just, I just grew up with it. And so the love of sport was there. And I played all the other sports. You know, I played football. Um, thought, thought I wanted to be a goalkeeper, but I was never going to be tall enough. So I've always got a fascination for goalkeepers. Maybe that's where the wicket-keeping thing came in. Um, but the, you know that sort of uniqueness of that position, um, and it's just a, a. I mean, snooker. I love snooker. I watch. I, I watch snooker. I watch. I watch a game of Tiddlywinks, Rob. If it, it, I think I'll quite enjoy the competition there to see who's going to outdo somebody else. It's like I was just brought up with that um, in a in a competitive environment, but not a nasty competitive. It was just a love of sport in general, you know. So all, all day, every day, I'll be playing either cricket or football, basically. Depending on what time of the year. Yeah, and by the sound of it, the the little bit that you spoke about going with your dad, you were playing with with adults, really, or you know, at that time. Yeah, so you know that that's you know as much as that's, I'm sure they looked after you. There is a common theme that you know you kind of um, there's there's something about people being challenged with with older brother older siblings and you know parents or whatever. The thing the, the thing is, Rob, I that, that that's like been the story of my life because. Even when I was playing youth cricket, I was always in the year, like at school, I, I always played for the year above, you know, or at um, under 15s when I was 13. So I was always being challenged and, and um, I was in a, a, a level above where I was, if you understand, in terms of um, progressing my skills. You know, it, made, it, it was a sink or, it was always sink or swim. You know, I, I can remember playing um, club cricket. I, would, I, I used to captain a men's team and I was on a Sunday, and I was like 15, 16, you know, so it, and I think that was good for me, I think because, and I've always been around older people, I never, my wife always says that I'm about, I was always 20 years older than what I should, what I actually was, um, because I grew up with older, my, my, the people I mixed with, I didn't really mix with people my age generally, it was always older people, even if it was just up at the pub with the team, you know, um, at 16, there, there, it was, it was that environment, and I, that in in a lot of ways that was good. That was good for me. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, just to kind of get us into your career, you seemingly were a fast bowler, or that's what you wanted to be, or that's what you were working on um, before you became an, a you know got into the wicket keeping and, and obviously became a you know not only established but you know a world class performer at wicket keeping. Is that right, Jack? Well, I, I used when I played, I never kept wicket for the school, so I, they made me captain. Um, and I used to open the batting and bowl. So it, I was an all-rounder, really. But it was when I went to play Stroud Cricket Club. That's my, my hometown. Um, first time in 120-odd years, they decided to have a youth system. I always say they did it for me. You know, it was, it, we're talking 1975 now, 74, 75. And um, I'm hoping to catch up with my very first coach in, in, next week, which is, I'm looking forward to because I haven't seen him for a while. And um, it, like, it, was, it was Friday night practice, and... I just got fed up of being down at fine leg. I was getting bored down there. And, I, this, is, and this is typical pig-headed Russellness that, that crops up occasionally. I didn't, I didn't think the guy who was keeping wicket was doing very well. So I actually thought I could do better, which, 
And I pestered my, the coach for weeks about, can, can I have a go? Can I have a go? And eventually, let me, just to keep me quiet, I think he let me have a go. And the rest, they say, is history. So I started keeping wicket when I played at club level um, in the 1970s. And it just grew from there. I just loved it. And I think when, I mean, there's, you get those inspirational moments, don't you? When Alan Knott caught a catch in 1977 against Australia, diving to his right-hand side, one-handed. It was Rick McCosker, caught, not bold Greg. That was the moment I thought, I'm going to do that. I want to, do, I want to play for England. I'm going to do what Alan Knott's doing. So Alan Knott and a guy who's in, who, from your area, uh, Bob Taylor, uh, Staffordshire man, he, um, those were my two heroes. So I sort of looked up to those and tried to copy those as, as it's, best I it's could. It's a so lovely it was, story, yeah. Um, particularly even, Jack, you narrowing it down to one, almost one sentence that was a commentator's you know, the commentator gives out this this commentary that, uh, you know, um, that, that kind of grabbed you. Um, it's a great story. Um, so, which brings me on um, to um, something that's, that you've mentioned before that uh, about Alan, Alan Knott again, and, you know, an eminent England international. He, he by all accounts, was a, a mentor of yours, Jack. Is that right? Yeah. But very much so. I mean, when the fixers used to come out at the start of the season, the fixers I used to look at first up were, were Kent, which is where Alan Knott played, and then Derbyshire, which is where Bob Taylor played. And I, those were the two guys. Um, I would always try and knock on the dressing room door at the end of a day's play and try and, you know, grab a word. Mr. Knott was always a very slow changer, so he was always an hour, hour and a half before he even left the changer room. So that gave me time to go and pick his brains. Because in those days, with the, Rob, there were no wicket-keeping coaches. There were no the county, the county had one coach. I mean, he did both teams, first team, second team, and the youth team. So there were no co- you had to basically coach yourself. And if you were lucky enough to have a senior wicket-keeper at your club, a county club that would help you, great. Not a lot of them didn't. You know, it was that sort of hard school, tough um, upbringing where you just. I mean. I remember in the early days, I was just told to shut up and sit in the corner because I was so such a gobby teenager that, um, you know, but very fortunate for me, what the guy at uh, Gloucestershire was Andy Brassington, who's another Staffordshire man, another Stokey. And, um, yeah, he's a Stoke man. And uh, he was great and he's always been great. And he's probably helped me more than, well, he's been one of the great helpers in my career because, which is amazing really, because he, he coached me to, perform better to help him help me take his job I mean how many people would do that you know so eventually I, I replaced him in the team but Alan Knott uh, was a guy that you couldn't really copy technically but I had a great time talking to him about concentration mental processes preparation and giving yourself the best chance because um, there was I mean the guy was a genius he was a brilliant batsman as well you know he was, he was good enough to play in the side as a batter he got five test hundreds he, he was a he was the early all-rounder, really. It's down to Alan Knott why wicket-keepers have such a tough time now in terms of getting in the test side because he he set the standards quite high and, and Gilchrist from Australia followed him uh, a few years later and set the bar higher. But he, he set such a standard. But he was, from a mental side of it, the, the thought processes and just um, getting... Because you, you, you've got to... It's an art to the concentration. It's such a critical thing. You know, I chatted to Bob Taylor about the same thing. Um, and there's a, there's a guy who um, uh, played at Derby, Luke Sutton, uh, wicketkeeper. He's, he's written a book, actually, 
a big section of it is on concentration. It's the best book I've, it's the best thing I've ever read on, on, um, on the thought processes and learning to concentrate because that's such a big thing because you can have, and it, I think it goes for any sport, Rob. You can have all, we see it, don't we? You can have all the talent in the world, but if your mind's not in the right place, then you're not giving yourself the best chance. That talent gets wasted. And on the other side of that, I've found that I've come across players with half of that talent that succeed because their mind and their mental side of their game is is at a different level. And that, that's such a critical thing. I think that's probably, I know, I know you need the talent, but the mental side of it is crucial. And I learned so much from Alan Knott on the, on the mental side. Luke, Luke Sutton. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's out yet. It, I think it's out in May, but I'm not. I'm not sure the exact date. I, I will find out. But um, if you look it up on the internet somewhere on on uh, Amazon or so, it'll, it'll be out. It'll be out there. It's amazing. He's talked to loads of wicket keepers um, across the board. Uh, uh, you know, and, and he's he's just picked everybody's brains and put this book together. Do, do you, um, when when you look back at Alan Alan Knotts, uh, as a you know, you call him a genius. Do you was he consciously did he consciously work on these this mental side of the game, in your opinion, from your standpoint, um, or was that something that he had kind of as a was he a very calm character who kind of had that anyway, or was it something he had to, you know, he worked on himself because he was. I do remember him as a, as a fan watching him, and he was the listen. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like the night watchman, they could put him in and they could vir- not guarantee, but you know, he's your best chance of not not losing a wicket. Yeah. Well, he, he, he'd also he'd be a man for a difficult situation because he would come in at number seven and Wingdon would be like 50 for five or something um, and he would get them out of jail. So he, he would come in and change the game. That, that, that's that pivotal role at number seven in terms of the batting. But from the mental side of it, I think you have to, there's a certain amount of natural um, uh, mental strength, if you like, but I think you can add to it. You can learn to add to it. Um, because I mean, I've had wicket keepers come and chat to me recently about about the game and the, the technical side of it. We've we've sort of done a few bits, but I just talk about the brain and where where the thought process. You know, you have to ask the question: Well, what is concentration? You know, you, what is it? And you have to you have to get them to work out what they think it is. And for me, it's thinking the right thing at the right time. You know, nothing should surprise you. You've got to be aware of everything, but focused on. The absolutely most important bit. Um, yeah, and uh, for me, it was a thought process. And I always say to them, and I should, being a being a painter, I should I should do it really. In fact, I've been meaning to do it for about thirty years. I never got round to it. But my thought process when the bowler was turned is marked to run in was the only thing that interested me on the whole planet was the ball. That was the only thing that mattered. And I didn't just look at the ball. I looked at for things, marks on the ball. I looked at where the seam was. I looked at what, which, where the shine was. So the intensity of the concentration um, was critical. And, you know, a nuclear bomb could have gone off or there could have been a, a riot or something. I wouldn't have taken a blind bit of notice because the only thing that was interesting me in was the ball. And I made it a contest between me and the ball because the ball getting away from me was going to ruin my day. So I, I felt it was, a, it was just me against the ball if you understand what I mean, in its simplest sense. So the precision of making sure I caught the ball, the determination, the aggression, the the the, um, the thought processes on that front it is, was critical. And also, but you need re- relaxation. So if you're over... Um, I was watching a thing on Gaza uh, the other night about when he, he did his knee in that cup final 
where he, he just he just he just trying too hard. He was just trying so wound up that he wasn't really concentrated. It was too far the other way. And you've got to find that balance between uh, determination, focus, and but you also need a certain amount of relaxation for your body to function properly. Um, especially when you're talking about a thing is like catching a cricket ball, which I used to do on field because my gloves never had any padding. So if I didn't catch it right, the ball, you know, it used to hurt. So I used to catch it on feel. Feel was an important thing for me. Um, so I needed relaxation from my elbows down, where the rest of my body was like, well, you know, charged up. Mm. Absolutely. No, uh, you say you, you explain things really well, Jack. I mean, I was listening to um, Jordan Peterson the other day, and he talks about how people think, people say, yeah, I understand this. And he could, you could be talking about anything. And his point of view is, listen, most people know nothing about what they think they understand and because uh, the depth, there's, there's, there's the depths of understanding which in terms of cricket, wicket-keeping and the ball, those things that you've described, that is understanding wicket-keeping. Uh, if you said to somebody in the street, you know, and this is all respectful, do you understand what a, a wicket-keeper is? Yeah, yeah, I know what wicket Well, yes, but you know your the demands of your role and your own personal desires to be better and better and better you know you the details that you go into and the and the, the evidence of the concentration uh, it's just a different universe yeah and that's you you hit on a key word there detail because you, all I, all I was ever trying to do was give myself the best chance to be successful whatever the whatever that you know if I was playing snooker I'd be doing the same if I was if I was a footballer, I, I could do the same. When I was co- when I was coaching goalkeepers at Forest Green Rovers, I was doing the same. I was still trying to do it. I was still exploring and trying to be the best, trying to make sure I gave them. Do you know what I mean? It's just a maybe. It's just a, an OCD thing, or it's just within that you just. I don't know. You, you're never satisfied. There's always I, I do it with my pictures. It's a nightmare painting. I can tell you because it's like I'm never really totally satisfied. So when do I stop? When do I stop painting a picture before I ruin it? Um, you know, it 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 it's it's just an understanding of it's okay having all the detail, but if you analyse it, keeping wicket is the most one of the most simplest things. And I say it to all the keepers, it's one of the most simplest processes there is, because it's you you're catching a ball, so you've got to. But it's not that simple. <laughs> you know I me mean? without contradicting myself. Um, it's but it's under, like you said, the understanding of the mechanics of it, and you've got to understand the mechanics of the mind as well. Not how the brain works, but how your thought processes work and what makes you tick. Because my concentration uh, thought process will be different to somebody else because there will be certain words, phrases, statements, whatever they need to think that will give them the best chance. So it's no good me saying you need to think this. You've got to work it out for yourself. And I get them to work it out. I mean, just on that, before we perhaps move on, and it's a fantastic aspect of this conversation, um, Jordan Peterson was saying he, his his first book he reckoned he took him fifteen years to write it because he was he, he, it was a, obviously a, you know he was writing it over this long period he he says and that he reckons he wrote every sentence about fifty times because he yeah. was a perfectionist yeah and yeah. I think and, when perfect- the, when do you stop Jack like you're saying well, that's it. painting when that's do you it. stop you know yeah but, I mean because it, it's that, that is the dilemma but you know so. You can be such a perfectionist, you end up destroying yourself and you end up destroying the end product. So 
So there's a balance in there, and that's it's not it's not you and I can't say you need to stop. Then it's it's a sometimes you just know at the time it's a gut feeling or you know it's hard to define it, but you've got to be aware of it and got to make sure. Actually, if I do that now, I'm going to go backwards with something, and it's the same with football. It'd be the same with whatever skills football we need, um, catching skills, any actually any walk of life really. And think about it. Um, because to me, life's like an equation. You know, this if you do this, this, and this, you'll get this. And if, but if you don't do that, you won't get that. And it's, you know, you've got to get the balance. And it's, there's no defined... Um, I think that's the beauty of coaching in it, Rob, because you sort of... Um, you're exploring that all the time, especially with different people. It's never the same. No, it's never the same. And I think we're probably careful we don't move off the conversation here but um you know i've put together the what i've considered to be the best uh session plan i thought you know what this is going to be great it's going to have everything this is the kids are going to love it it's going to flow there's going to be loads of ball contact i'm going to enjoy it there's going to be a great outcome at the end and i've driven home with my head in my hands at night time thinking because it's been a disaster now it's only a disaster at the time because i've learned from it so it's not a disaster really but um it's, that. it's still a positive. It's still a positive yeah. because you've got, you, you actually, well, actually, that doesn't work for those. And I do it the same with painting. When I first started painting, a nine out of 10 canvases would go in the bin. I couldn't do it. But I thought if Rembrandt can do it, why can't I do it? So there's a way of doing it. I've just got to find it. And every so often, a little bit would work out. So the, the, the things that went in the bin were a negative in one way, but a positive to learn from in another way. And without the negative, those bin pictures throughout being thrown, without the mistakes, which is, you, we're talking, going back to sport, you know, the mistakes are important. You've got to make them to learn, to progress, to move on, to get better. And it's just, um, you know, I, I always say to my keep, I never turn up to wicketkeeper's session with, I'm talking pros now, I never, took, with anything in my head, I've always got an open mind, I say, and I say to them, right, what are we doing today? What do you want to work on today? What do you want to, and then I take it from there, because... I've got. I know what I, I know what they should be working on, and I know what I want to be working on. And I've always got a plan to say, well, let's do this, this, or this. But I try and get them to. And you can't do it with kids. It's a different thing. You're talking the, the situation is a different thing. And that's a, that. That would be a different thing where you do go and say we're doing this, this, and this, and you hope, fingers crossed, that they get something out of it and it works. But with the pros, it's um, without going on too long about it. You know, it's a, it's an, it's an. Um, what's the word? It's an adventure. It's like a. There's an ex, there's an experimental element to it that that is exciting and it's it's a journey it's a journey. Yeah, and you've got to meet them at, at where they are because otherwise there's no connect. Um, well, that's how I see it. But I think I think we're, we're um, okay. So just before we move on from that, what did did Andy Brassington bring anything to your table that 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 was particularly it obviously affected you in a positive way um, because you mentioned him. Um, what, what were his things that he brought to you? Is there anything uh, specific, Jack? I would say the biggest thing was the encouragement, because because and the, and and the the uh, the belief that actually I was good enough. You know, he, he rated me. Um, he knew I was going to take his job at some point, but he still encouraged me. And then that says uh, that speaks volumes for the guy. And at that particular time, he, the problem with Brassy, I was calling Brassy, he, he batted number 10 or 11. So he was never going to play for England because he, his batting was never uh, uh, good enough. But technically, he was one of the best keepers in the country, if not the best. He was up there with your not Taylor and that, those guys, technically. Um, so I learned so much from him technically. I just used to copy him, Rob. 
you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a copier. You know, I used to try and copy people, even with batting. Is because I'm I'm sort of quite a visual person. So if you if I see something, I go, oh, I think, oh, I'll try that. And I, this and in in days of um, there were no videos or computers. It was that was the only way. I used to watch the television. There was no record or play it back. I just have to watch it and go, right, that guy's done that. See if I can try and and what what makes them work. The mechanics of they, you know, I cop, try to copy it. Things like staying down to the ball bounces and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing with Brassy was the the encouragement because I was in the changing room at that time where there wasn't a lot, wasn't a lot of that because I was just a young upstart and you would have seen it in football probably. Um, where, you know, it's just a tough school. It's a tough school. And I look back and think, I'm glad it was because it actually made me, it was that sink or swim situation again. You know, I was going to rise. And, and one, of the, one of my teammates actually said to me, you will never be good enough to lace Andy Brassington's boots. That was said to me. Now, that was the, one of the best things ever said to me because I thought, right, I'm going to prove him wrong now. That is the, that is the, the gauntlet's down now. I am gonna. I'm gonna play for England. You're not gonna play for England because you, you should be playing for England because you've got loads of ability. But you're not gonna play for England because you waste it. And I'm gonna play for England and I'm gonna play more times for England than you'll ever play. So just it sort of fired my fired me up. Um, I mean, in in another way, if you you know it could have gone, I could have shriveled up and sank. You know, so it sort of it doesn't work for everyone. But for me. Because um, you know what it's like in football if you're managing teams and that. Sometimes a guy needs an arm round him. You don't need to tell him this or that. You just say, you're bloody no, good. You know, just go out and express yeah. yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry? No, yeah. Absolutely. So, but Brassy gave me that. Brassy gave okay. me the, he, he, he sort of, this guy's good. Believe, he made no, me believe I was lovely. good. It's a great story because, again, and, and I spoke to somebody about this yesterday, because um, you, you, when you get an opportunity or, or or a journalist gets an opportunity and asks the right questions to somebody who, let's just use the word, has achieved something great in sport because that's what people like to listen to. That's what Sky Sports does all the time. That's what, you know, the interviewer likes to know. And, and if it goes beyond how do you feel now, now you won the European Cup or whatever, you know, the bland stuff that people ask and they say to them, you go a little bit deeper. Nine out of the ten of, will say something akin to that there was somebody in their career back down the road, and it's often in their formative years, who believed in them or made, said, said, you'll never do that. So, and, and, and I think yeah, those things are, are probably there for, I wouldn't say everybody, but for a lot of people, but it's how, how you, as you've alluded to, how you respond to that. It- it definitely happened. It definitely happened. And, and further down the line, and I mean, I've been in the team, they were talking, I've been in the team now four or five years. So I'm established. I'm actually trying, I'm knocking on the England door now. I'm trying to get an England team because that's my next target. And I'm still not, I'm thinking, mm, I'm not sure, you know, am I doing it? And it's a period where you can't see what you're doing because um, there's no videos or it's, it, was, it was difficult to actually watch yourself doing what you were doing. One of the other, other team, my other teammates, who joined from Leicestershire, a guy called Brian Davison, who was absolutely as hard as now as he was from the old Rhodesia days, um, Zimbabwe, and um, he came over and played for him. He, he joined Gloucester for a couple of years, 
and he, he, I was catching balls at Bristol, and I can still hear him say it now, and I can still, I, I know the weather, I can, I'm there, I'm right there now. And he said to me, and he said, what are you worried about? I said, well, I'm not quite catching it, and this sort of like, and I was looking for complications that weren't, I was looking for ghosts that weren't there, basically. And how often have we seen that happen with, with players in all, all um, uh, sports? And he said, he said to me, Rob, he said, when the batsman nicks it, right, when he hits it and the ball's coming to you, they don't even look, he said, they just walk off. I thought, wow. Do you know what I mean? That, and the, that was another, I, that sticks in my mind great. Just that one sentence that that's even with me now. And I try and um, use that. I still use that now if I'm just, working with keepers. You so know, it's just, just that. explain that a little bit more, Jack. So um, just so, because I, I'm not sure I've got the full right. value what, of that of that point. When, it, when, a, batch, when a batsman edges the ball, yes, you've got to catch you, it. Yeah. Right, you're the wicket keeper. He gets a little nick. It doesn't go to the slips. It's going to, go you. to you. Right. What batsmen do often is they sometimes look behind to see where the ball's gone. Yeah. Right. To see if it's going to be caught. Yeah. But what what they do if they what he was saying was when they nick it to me, they just don't even look. Yeah. They just walk off because right. they know it's going to be caught. So that That's what he was saying was, yeah. I don't miss anything. Yes. Yeah. What he said, my stands were so high, yeah. they nobody expects me to drop a catch. Yeah, yeah. And I'd, I'd sort of built that reputation. I didn't even know I'd done it, you know. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, um, I, that's, that that's I needed, totally get it. Somebody yeah. had to tell me that, Rob. So that was important. Somebody said that to me because that penny had not dropped. Yeah, because we don't know, Jack, how other people see us, do we? I've had this exactly. conversation myself uh, when I've been um, struggling with a, a dilemma myself about breaking into a, the next level, which is what I want yeah. to come to with you. And um, it was even my sister, was, you know, it doesn't have to be any. My sister said, have you any idea, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, instead of you, to you, often you're just this little old guy who has done this, done that, done the other. You know, you don't see yourself as as, yeah. as you can be. So it's a great point. Yeah, um, that, that also reiterates the bit we're saying about trying to be too perfect or trying to be too, trying to destroy yourself because actually you've reached a level that is good, but you're still looking, you still think you're imperfect. And they trying to and continually saying thinking you're in, which we all are, but if you let it get on top of you, it can destroy you and take you the other way. We, I mean, how many times have we seen that in sport? That happens a lot. Yeah. Um, so it brings us nicely on to you breaking your next level. So here you are, an established county cricketer, got ambition, but um, your transition to being an established England Test cricketer. That wasn't smooth, Jack, if I'm correct. And please, please, um, you know, you illustrate the story if that's not right. No, uh, it, I mean, it's sort of, the, the thing is, we all would like to go to the moon, don't we? But we don't, and, and see what it's like, but we don't really know what it's like when you get there. It's sort of, it's an unknown, it's a bridge that's got to be crossed and you're into unknown territory and you don't know if you can cross the bridge. That's basically the, the dilemma. And you've just got to, it was a case of, well, this is it. I've got to go for it. And the thing about playing cricket in particular is, you know, if you make one mistake, I, I, I started my England career in those days. It, it's not quite so bad now, but if you, if you dropped a catch, it was like, wow, it's like, if you know, it's like goalkeeper. If it lets a goal in, it's like, what the hell's going on? You can change your career, can it? If one slips yeah. underneath you, it can well, change your whole I, career. Yeah. But I was playing for my career, England career, every single delivery. So if you can imagine that pressure, um, I mean, I just didn't know it was, pressure, well, it was pressure, but I didn't, I, I just thought that's the way it was. I just had to deal with it. 
So I did, it wasn't like I wasn't whinging about it. I was just getting on. But on my first day with England, um, my, my debut was at Lord's Cricket Ground, which is the greatest cricket ground on the planet. It's like the, the main cricket ground. in the Everyone loves playing there. It's the home of cricket, as they call it. And I, my England debut was at Lord's, which was like unbelievable. Yeah, my test match debut, which was great. So you're running through the, down through the old-fashioned long room. The old members are clapping, and you're out onto that lush green grass for the first time with three lions on your chest. And I used to run out behind the captain because it's protocol to let the captain go first. So as soon as his t- foot went over the white line, the rope, I was poof, off to the umpire, get the ball. And I was just so determined to, this is, this is my big chance. A bit like Gazza in that cup final, actually, just thinking about it, where he did his knee in on that bad tackle. It was, I tried too hard, and I, and I dropped two catches on my first day in test cricket. So it was, it, I got a catch in the end, but it was like, I was, I went for, well, the first one, it went through my hands for some reason, and that never happened again in my life. It actually went, and nobody noticed because it was such a little nick. Nobody actually realised the batsman had edged it, apart from uh, the bowler, who was my old teammate at Gloucester, who was also making his debut. And we grew up as kids together, under 13, which wanting to be Court Russell Bolt Lawrence, David Lawrence it was. Um, and we were actually making our test debuts together. So that's like, um, you know, that's just unbelievable. It's like storybook stuff. And um, But I know, then I, to try and make up for that, I dived in front of the first slip and went for a catch that wasn't my catch, put that down. So it was the exuberance and the trying to impress and worrying about what everyone was... I was trying to make their mark and trying to worry about what they were thinking of. And I just lost my focus and I was just trying too hard. So there's a, there's, it does come back to that bit about relaxation and the concentration being in the right zone. Um, that was it. So I, had a, I didn't have a great first day, but I did... I ended up being night watchman that first day and I stayed in overnight, but I ended up getting 94 in my first test and into the next day. Um, I should have got 100. It's the only... Re- people say to me, what regrets have you got? I gave me a wicket away when I was in on 94. I'd never scored 94 in first class cricket in my life. I gave my... I tried to... Again, tried too hard and I, I didn't have the patience to get to the 100. Um, that's the only regret I've got in the whole of my life. So I had a good second day and, I, and we won the game and it just took off from there and then we played the Aussies the following year because I only played the one test at the end of that summer in 88. And then we were into the Aussies. So it sort of, it, it didn't go according to plan the first day, but I sort of came out with it with reasonable flying colours, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And um, again, a great illustrative story of that exuberance. And football's littered with that, Jack, as well. I mean, you know, the thing that comes to mind for me is, is Emmeline Hughes, who... who um, Shanks picked up from, um, I forget which club it was, I think it might have been Rotherham, I'm not sure, and they took him to, um, uh, you know, it wasn't Rotherham, anyway, took him to Liverpool, told him in the car that he was going to be, at, he was the England captain when he was, you know, in his teens, like, listen, I've, you're the England captain. And when he made his debut, you know, he, he was rugby tackling people, pushing him into the crowd, and the crowd nicknamed him Crazy Horse, and it stuck. Um, and, you know, now he would have been sent off within a minute and a half, really. But um, it, it ended up, obviously, a glittering career. But uh, that exuberance, Jack, which, you know... But when you, when you, when you go into unknown territory, Rob, is that, those mistakes, that can happen, can't it? It's sort of... And the other thing, the thing about... At, at least I knew, at the end of that match, at least I knew I could do it. You know, I knew I could do it. Even though I'd made a couple of mistakes, I took, actually took a brilliant one-handed catch in the second innings, diving to my left. That gave me, that was the catch that, it was a really good catch. Um, 
And it, that sort of thought, right, that's it. I can show them I can, I, they know I can keep Wigan now. And I got runs, I got runs in the, in the, in the match as well. So they know I can bat. So I actually felt as though, and having experienced it, I, I, I knew well, I can do this. Yeah. I can actually do this. Yeah. 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 Um, a couple of things I, I want to just get in before we kind of, you know, I am respectful of your time, Jack, is one of the things that stands out for me. And, and I think it stands out from anything that you read about you as a, as a person and, and you know let's face it you've you know you, you you're an established ex-England international and you know blimey you don't you don't get called the best at something in the world unless unless you've got a talent and you've got a, a work ethic that's probably second to none one of the things that stands out and is so attractive to me is that you seem to be somebody who is really um a, a true example of somebody who 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 lives their own life, who is themselves, who is, uh, you know, as Shakespeare said, above all else to thine own self be true. You kind of seem to epitomise that, Jack. Is that something that you've never even thought about in all these times? With all the, the documented idiosyncrasies about your hat and your gloves and your Weetabix and your sleeping bag in the car and all the things that media love to get hold of and think, you know, is he weird? And, you know, is that just something that, you didn't think about um, and was just you or did you have to battle those demons where because to conform is a massive is a massive drive isn't it to conform yeah yeah I mean I'm just I'm just a grubby head little teenager from a council house in Stroud Rob that's basically that's who I am that's it I mean that's my if you want to go back to the absolute basic to the nitty gritty that's where I'm from and I've, I've sort of never really although I don't People might not think I never lose. I've never lost sight of my roots. So, and I'm married to a Yorkshire lady, Rob. Who, as soon as I get big-headed, right, it will just chop me in half. If I come home after scoring a hundred or something, and we're waltz through the door like all, you know, glory, glory. Well, no, chop, boom, back down to earth. So, I've always kept um, put the bins oh, out. <laughs> sorry, go and put the bins out. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're going, yeah, sort the kids out. You know, look, I've had them all day. It's your turn, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of, it, I've always, I've just tried to, although I, li- I like to live in a bit of a fantasy world uh, and I've got dreams and this and that and there's that side of it, I'm actually quite a realist and it's sort of, and uh, the problem, I just, I've just have been confident enough to say and it's probably annoyed a lot of people and I'm looking back now, my mind's whizzing back to even like when I was at school, uh, when I was a teenager, when it was, when I was, whatever, whoever I was dealing with, I just didn't, I just saw it slightly differently and didn't conform. You know, this is the way you do it. And I would go, well, actually, I think I can do it this way. Well, I think, and I wasn't always right, but I would just let me try this way. Or I think I, so I sort of, it's hard to put a finger on it, but it's sort of, I just, and I've I've had the confidence to say, well, if you don't like it, then you don't like it. I can't, you know, but I can't be somebody I'm not. That's the bottom line. I cannot be somebody I'm not. And as you get on through your, when you're early in my career, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, you're worried about what people think about you. Do I look all right? Do the selectors think I'm all right? Am I tidy enough? Um, you know, am I fitting in? Do I, do I have to be careful I say boo to because I don't want to upset anybody? And it, in the end, you, you, you get rid of all that baggage. And as life goes on, especially, I was thinking, I'm thinking more of my England career now. As life goes on, you know, you think, actually, what they think is irrelevant. If you're catching every ball, and scoring the runs, what they think, because they've got to pick here. So, you know what I mean? It's sort of like if you're performing 
And the bottom line for me, Rob, really, is I've just tried to play my best every day. I try and do my best at every... I didn't want to waste a day, you know, and I, so I gave it 100% all the time. I might not have got it right, but I, I would give... I would never... I mean, I'm so focused playing cricket. I mean, I even even forgot my grandmother's funeral. That's how... Do you know what I mean? That's how focused I was on matches. I'm not proud of it, but it, that's a fact, you know, and I would... I mean, there's times... My wife never came to the cricket very often, but I would just, I walked straight past her. She only came about four times in about 20 years, but and three of those times were to cut because I'd forgotten kit, so she had to bring me some kit. But she really stood at the gate, and I just walked straight past her. But and it was the end of the day's play because all I was thinking of was what do I need to do for tomorrow's start tomorrow's play. So there's that. It, it, I don't know if it's pig-headed or what. It's just that focus. But in terms of being your own man. Um, and I know, I know, I even annoy myself sometimes. You know, I know I normally, it's like I sometimes think, well, why did you try and do it that way? The other person was right. But it's just instinctively, I just see it that way and I've got to do it that way. And I can't, that's that. If it's not good enough, fine. But I, that's, I've got to, I, at least I know I'm giving it my best shot my way. Absolutely. No, I, and absolutely. I think in a nutshell, that's probably what all, all I've tried to do, really. It's a lovely place to be, Jack, um, because, you know, you lay your head on the pillow at night time, success or failure. The, the, the it, it's it's a success because listen I, I followed my passion I followed my dream I followed the way I thought it should be I've given it everything I can and the result is not irrelevant in terms of what you want but it is irrelevant really because you've been true to yourself which is the yes. ultimate um, you, you're giving it your best shot Rob yes. and you can't you actually can't do it you might not have got it right but you've given you what you thought at the time was the best shot and at least you've given it everything you've got and you can't ask of anyone any more than that, whatever the end result, I think. I know, yeah, we want to be better. I paint pictures now and I'm never satisfied. Um, but at least I gave it my best shot and I thought, well, okay, it might not be right, but I, I gave, it was, it, that picture's me. I've not tried to paint it like somebody else has taught me to, trying to make me paint it. And that's not always easy when you're a youngster and you're, you're, playing, you're playing whatever sport because there's people around you all the time saying, do this, do that, do this or do that. And sometimes it's hard to, it's, you go with it sometimes and you, you, you think, no, stuff it, that, that, that's not me. You know, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Okay, you learn from your mistakes and you'll know not to do it next time. So it is a learning process. But it's, it's not easy for people to be like that. And it's never been easy for me to be like that. I might chat like and sound like, and you said it, that I am like that. But there have been millions of times when you think, Am I right? You know, am I? Do I need to go their, their road for a minute or not? Mm. I don't yeah. know. It's, it's, no, no, it's 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 a massive conversation. But I, but I look back, Robin, thinking, but well, at least I did it. At least I, at least I was me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Jack, I, I'm going to ask you about your brother. Um, and I'm prob I don't know if I'm treading on areas that you don't want to speak about, but obviously, you know, I can't empathise because, you know, I've got siblings, but my siblings are, uh, are fit and well at the minute. Um, well, you know, they're, they're certainly alive. Um, what what was, you know, what what kind of um, effect did it have on your, because um, I know that you lost your brother, what, what kind of effect did that have on you um, in your life? Yeah, well, we're talking mid '80s now. So I was, I was 25. He was, he, no, I was 23. He was 21. Um, and it's sort of not the thing you expect, you know. That and basically what happened, he fell off a wall um, and just banged his head. 
Sorry, I was down, down a bit of a drop. It was just a, it was after a cricket match. It was just at the, the pub across the road from the cricket club. There was this low wall, and he just he just tripped over it and went backwards. It was, there was, they didn't just got to the pub, I think. And um, anyway, he went to hospital, blood clot. They got it next morning, collapsed, blood, brain dead, and that sort of thing. So that was like a, a few days in Bristol Hospital trying to. And, it, and the only way I could deal with it was to like not accept it and shut off. You know, it was sort of like it was like a different. Um, it was a bit of a reaction in terms of uh, I'm, I'm not having that. Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm not accepting that. You know, I said, well, and they said, well, we've got to turn the machine off. And I'm going, well, uh, how do you know you might not be all right in six months? Or you, you can't just give up because you know you can't give up on him. But I knew they were right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Looking back now, I knew they were right. So that was difficult. And um, and the fu- his funeral was the day before I played a game at Surrey. Um, in London, so we had the funeral that day, which was like, well, it's just all a little bit of a daze, you know. It's sort of like not a great experience, but you're there, but you're not really there, and that sort of thing. You try to, you just don't, you just don't have that experience. It's, it's hard to put, put a thing on it. But my reaction to that was, and, they were, and the, I was offered not to play the game the following day. You know, the captain at Gloucester said, look, you know, it's your brother, and if you don't want to play tomorrow, that's fine. Um, I said, no, 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 I'm playing. I don't really, and there's no way I'm. Leave it out. If he, if I don't play, he'd be so disappointed in me if I don't play tomorrow. Um, so I played and I got my best first class score. I went in ninth watchman and got seventy odd um, against one of the quickest bowlers in the, in the world at that time, which, which was Sylvester Clark. And playing Surrey at the over was never easy on a good side. So yeah, I was sort of like the, the I, I channeled that um, uh, pain, if you like, into determination. Um, I'm, you know, I don't know how I was at that time. I didn't speak about it for years. I'll be honest. I mean, I can talk now. There's no problem. But for a long, long time, I just, I just switched off from it. Really, I didn't really want until I wrote my book of all the cricket grounds that I played at, which was uh, seven years, seven or eight years ago. It's called um, 18 Counties: A Personal Journey. So I decided to paint all the cricket grounds that I played at for Gloucester, and it was a great. Took, took me two and a half years. It was great fun doing it. And the, he, he died, he, the incident happened when I was playing at Old Trafford, which is a favourite ground of mine because a lot of good things happened to me there. But obviously this, this bad thing happened to me there and I had to leave the game during, halfway during the match. And I even left my hat there. I, did, I left my kit, my hat, which goes with me at 24 hours a day. It's like the, I trusted, I'd never leave it anywhere. Um, I just got on the training and come back. So I'd, I'd left that. That's how, like, I've, I've just been a step of shock or something. Um, and so Old Trafford, when I wrote about playing at Old Trafford, and it's a book of sketches and paintings, but the double page spread where I write about that incident, I've not put any sketches, it's just black and white, you know, so I thought that was apt just to make it a bit of a, um, that sort of, just a bland couple of pages, because it was so, but I wrote it, and since I've written it, I sort of find it easier to talk now, it's just not, you know, it's not such a major thing, it's just something i got to deal with. But at the time, I think I, like most things I don't like, I sort of switch off and just, it, I suppose we all do it. Um, we don't want to deal with it. Um, so I was probably grieving for years and didn't really know what was going on. Um, but I, I channeled it into into determination to play better because in a strange sort of way, I thought, well, in a, I can, I just got, it's just come back to me now. I just felt though that day he was watching over me. It's just come back to me. That day I was batting. I don't know why. It just felt like that. He was like with me. He was with me. Now, he obviously wasn't, but I thought he was. I mean, he might have been. I don't know. But, I, you know, I can't prove that. But mentally, so I just mentally channeled those 
problems into playing well. I just that's yeah. just how I did it that way. Yeah. I think. Yeah. No, beautiful, beautiful story, and thank you for um for you know for going there, uh, uh, Jack. Which brings us on for me. Um, you, you've blimey, we we've delved and quite deeply into some brilliant personal career coaching points that that really can't help to to to, to help people who who've got an interest in 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 moving on and you know particularly in sport. And I want to come on to your your career now which is a very successful artist with a successful gallery um and some absolutely beautiful pictures um and you know somebody's in demand um just tell us a little bit about that jack whichever aspect of that because look you know very few people have international sporting careers very few people are renowned successful artists whatever that means in terms of how, how you define that and but you know even less <laughs> are both and you know you know i'm not here to i'm here as a friend and somebody who who wants to share your life story to to help others really um uh, and you know but to, to be to be both of those things which obviously is in you and, and you know you're being yourself it's it's totally unique um so tell us a little bit about that jack because you know it, you know it's not something that that most people do no i, I sometimes think i'm being a bit greedy do you know I, mean? it's like I, I sometimes feel guilty about it because it's like you know both both things have, have paid the bills and I've, that i've been doing the, the thing the two things i love doing most it's like it's a really weird situation but i suppose it's sort of um, you need a, you need a lot of luck, obviously, but you, you need. The, I think the sporting side of it went crossed into the art because you still need that de- dedication, determination, not to give up, and you, you know you, you're exploring and you're trying to improve and get better all the time. Um, so the, the two overlap quite a lot, but men- mentally, actually, um, they they were good because it, it they helped, the, the painting helped me relax when I was on England on tour with England and between Test matches and that sort of thing, so I could. It was a great recharge for me, um, being a bit of a recluse and a bit of a loner. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm my best when I'm on my own to recharge, you know. So it helped in that respect. But it all started out of boredom, really, basically, playing county cricket and being stuck in cricket pavilions when it was raining. And it just um, it started in 1987 at uh, Worcester. We'd rain, been, been stuck in a pavilion for a couple of days. The fact I'd lost all my money at cards had nothing to do with it. Um, and just basically, and getting being bored stiff. I thought, well, if Rembrandt can do, it. and I, I'd always been interested in it, art, and in, in the fact that how they, how do they do that? I never didn't do it at school because I was too busy off skies and playing cricket. But um, in a nutshell, it came through boredom, and I just thought, if Rembrandt can do it, why can't I? And I stormed out the dressing room and went into the town in Worcester and bought a little sketch pad and some pencils and started sketching up and down the River Severn. I mean, the first, I mean, not in, not in front of people. I was like, the first picture I did, I've still got it. It's about two inches by two inches. It's a man under a tree reading a newspaper. And I did it from like about 100 yards so nobody could see what I was doing. It was, I was still shy with it. But I eventually grew up courage to do it at the cricket when there was no play. And um, those sketches I did at the cricket, I took them into a gallery in Bristol. This is where the luck bit comes in, just to get one or two framed at home to put on the walls, and the gallery owner knew I was. And I'd just been picked to play on my first England tour, which was Pakistan away in 1987, where I played three days cricket in eight weeks. So I had plenty of time for 
sketching, and he said to me, "Do an exhib- do do some sketches on your England tour, and come back, and we'll do an exhibition." So that was my that was in Bristol, and that was 1988 early season the exhibition, and the 40 sketches sold out in two days, and that was that was the start of it. Um, then I was inundated with commissions, sketching mainly, but it was always the colours I really wanted to get into. And a couple of years later, we had another exhibition, and I started painting a bit more then. Uh, 30 original oil paintings, they sold out as well straight away. So that was the start of it, Rob. And it, I just sort of like, it, it's just, I've never looked back. Um, so I've been on that path with goals and determinations to, to take that and take that as far as I can and be the best painter I possibly can. The thing is, it takes time, and you, the more you do, the more you learn. I've learned a lot, and we've mentioned it before. I learned a lot by making mistakes because there was loads, loads of times I was going to give up. I was not. I, I thought I can't. I can't. Yeah, I can't do this. I can't. It's not going to happen. But there was a square inch every so often that just worked out. And I thought, don't be, don't be so pathetic, Russell. You know, you can't give up. You just keep, keep going, and see where, see where it takes you. And then when people started buying my work, that's like a pat on the back, and that gave me the confidence. And um, now we've sort of we've been going. What are we now? I've been my thirty odd years now as a professional artist. So, and we, we uh, last two or three years have been our busiest ever. Um, so it's just frantic and manic at the minute. And I'm not complaining because it's all self-inflicted, Rob. But I love it. I just love it. And I get up in the morning now. My wife's a bit annoyed about it. Not she's not really, but I did promise her a bit more attention when I finished playing. Um, when that was eight, 18 years ago now, and I've but I, I'm still I've sort of if I don't paint during the day, like I've already we're doing an interview now. I've already done a couple of hours painting this morning. Um, if we don't if I don't paint, I get very agitated. So it's like my obsession now. Where catching balls and scoring runs was an obsession. Um, this is my focus, and in, in a lot of ways, it sort of keeps me sane, which a lot of my teammates wouldn't agree with. But to me, it just keeps me mentally in the, in the, and I've got to do it. Even if I wasn't selling any paintings, you know, if I, if I wasn't doing it as a profession and had it, had, a, had to have another job, that's fine. But I'd still be doing it in, around the job. So it's sort of like a, and I do feel guilty sometimes. And I think, well, having said that on the other side of it, you know, we, I've worked hard at it and we've made it happen to get to this stage. So I shouldn't be too hard on myself, really. But I just, I'm just so lucky. I'm really lucky to have two jobs that I love doing that's got me this far well i think from this perspective jack the humility that you show in terms of the gratitude for having the opportunities to do these two things and and earn a living from them and and still love them um is is beautiful um but you know you've only got to listen to you a little bit and this call it an obsession if you like but your work ethic in terms of wanting to understand your niche and determination to follow through and, and, and see see the bad times through and throw canvases away nine times out of ten and, you know, ignore comments from people who don't want you to succeed and, and, and the determination, you know, that, that I, I hear what you say about the guilt kind of thing because, you know, how many people spend their life working in a, a job that pays the bills but they hate um you know uh, many many people do so I, I hear exactly what you say but i think you're you're an example of somebody who's used their talent and used their passion and has tried as absolutely hard as they can to to, to make that work and um 
look, you know, uh, however you look at it, um, it, it's done what it's done for you. And, um, you know, I think that takes away, that should take away some of the guilt, mate, for um, yeah. <laughs> for it. it yeah, it's, it's great. Isn't it? But I, I think I just try and make sure, because it's so, it was like when I was playing, Rob, I, it, towards the end of my career, I knew I was going to finish at some point. So every ground I played at, I tried to savour every minute. So it's like, we don't know. I mean, there's some odd, there's some odd things going on in the world at the minute. That it's not nice and you just think well I'm glad I'm not in those places and um, having to go through what some people are going through and it's you know that that's just like hell and I'm, I'm sort of like in paradise in terms of okay I, I know I need to work at it and that but I'm just conscious of it's like I should slow down really you know I'm going seven days a week at a minute manic and at some point I will have to slow down but it, there's just that um, I, I, I don't want it to slow down if you understand because I'm loving while, I, while you're on the planet you've got to try and make them it's not everything it's not all plain sailing as we know for any everybody but while you're in decent spaces try and make the most of it and I'm just trying to keep that I'm on a bit of a crest of a wave that's been going probably I don't know where are we now 58 I am so 59 this year so 50-odd years, I'm trying to stay on this wave. It's, um, <laughs> That's not a and, bad and, wave, Jack. <laughs> I just keep it going. I'll, just keep, I'll let you know when I, if I fall off the, the surfboard. Well, I'll, I'll let you know. Oh, Jack, I think that's a wonderful place to leave it. Um, I don't think we could come to a better crescendo than that. Um, you know, so um, listen, thank you so much for your time. And um, it's been nothing but a pleasure listening to you, mate. And, um, you know, uh, I can't thank you enough. So, Jack... Keep, keep Rob, at it, pal. Yeah, Rob, it's been great talking to you. I mean, I think we get on so well because we're sort of like similar similar thoughts on life and uh, attitudes and that. So I think when, when we sat together in, at that that little dinner that night and um, got chatting away, I think we sort of clicked together. So, you know, you're, you're a similar type of person. So um, that's probably why we've got on. But it's been great talking to you and... Um, you know, it's been fantastic. And thanks for asking me to do it. I've enjoyed it. No, it's been an absolute pleasure, Jack, and I say th- thanks for your time, mate. And um, hopefully we'll catch up again um, sometime soon, mate. And, um, you know, we'll uh, we'll, we'll see what's, uh, what, what's, what water's gone under the bridge and um, what, what's coming next. So uh, keep 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 up the great work, mate. Yeah, we'll, we'll get the kettle on, Rob, and we'll have another natter. That's what we'll do. Bless you. Thanks very much, Jack. Appreciate Cheers, your time. Rob. Take care. Bye. Cheers, Rob. Bye. Bye. bye.